What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, how much did the city actually spend to house asylum seekers in 2023? What's next for convicted former Alder Ed Burke? And have you visited Chicago's newest viral sensation, Rat Hole? We got tons of questions this week, and to help me answer them all is executive producer Simone Alisea and WTTW's Heather Sharon. It's Friday, January 12th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. morning heather how you feeling i'm feeling great thanks for having me back no we excited to have you morning simone how's it going it's all right jacoby glad to have you back in the host chair i'm excited to be here despite being in the the second week of january and people hearing my voice in a couple of episodes so far uh it is my first time back behind the mic in 2024 and so i still get to get this off happy new year heather happy new year simone Today is the last day I'm going to be saying it to people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Happy New Year. After 19 hours of travel, I finally made it back to Chicago earlier this week. And I'm not going to lie. I was expecting to be welcomed by a ton of snow, especially after them delays. Uh, but there was none. However, forecasters say we are going to get nearly a foot of snow this weekend. Uh, last time we got snowed in, I completed this dope ass puzzle from Chicago's own Cherry Mountain Arts Gallery. So I want to know how are y'all planning to enjoy your potential snow day inside this weekend? Heather, I'm going to start with you. If there are eight to 12 inches of snow outside uh when you wake up saturday what you gonna be doing with your day i'm gonna be eating because <laughs> that's just like that's just like my body goes into like straight up fat bear mode like we gotta eat we need carbs we gotta have some cheese like my husband went to the store today so that like if we really do get hit we are full up on everything that we need to make it through because i do not go out in the snow um i am of course a native chicago i'm very proud of that but i do not do um, more than a couple inches of snow. I just, I will wave at the kids as they play in the backyard. I will take cute pictures of whatever snow people they create. Um, <laughs> I, I will not be participating in any winter fun. That's funny. <laughs> For all of the things you said in the answer, the thing my mind like sort of grabbed onto is we've done so many episodes together. When you said fat bear mode, I just remember, you remember when I fat shamed that bear like two years ago? <laughs> <Yes>! <laughs> 
Hank the Tank. Yes, and you called yes. me out on it, G, because I was like, man, why they post that picture of my boy just looking all lazy? He was like, Kobe, leave him alone. And so I'm glad that uh, a Hank the Tank reference has come back all these years later. Full circle, full circle. I love it. And Simone immediately laughed, too, because she was there when it happened. Hank the Tank has broken into 28 houses. <laughs> Hank the Tank fat as hell. Jesus. Like, I didn't expect I, th- I didn't expect the bear to be that big. It's, it looks like an unflattering picture, too. He's, like, sitting down. So everything, he's not, like, standing up in all his glory. Who cares? He doesn't care. He's a bear. What I do you know. mean unflattering? He's a bear. <laughs> do not shame, body shame Hank the Tank. I, We're I, not going to stand I, for I, that. I, was, I wasn't trying to body shame my boy. It just, you know, a lot of the bear. <laughs> so, well, what are your plans uh, for a potential snow day this weekend, whether it's, you know, late Friday, early Saturday? You know, it's funny. I also have a puzzle that has been um, sort of sitting on my shelf waiting to have a few hours to work on. It's a it's a puzzle of some very cozy cats. So I feel like it's very um, uh, apt. I, on the other hand, I have kind of been, I feel like I'm I'm blaspheming here. I, 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 I don't like cold weather, but I have kind of been waiting for it to snow a little mm-hmm. bit this winter. Like I'm kind of over this. Been a few this- pump fakes. Uh, yeah, and I'm kind of over it, you know. I'm over this like cloudy rain nonsense. Uh-huh. Like, I think I actually might go outside and take a little walk and hear the crunch and enjoy it. We'll see how much snow we get. My plan is to just sit inside with a warm blanket and keep on chilling and take a little bit from both of y'all. Right? I got a Candy Wiley uh, <laughs> puzzle. I've been been waiting to to break out for for a year, and 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 I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna eat. So we got, we got some good plans for the snow day. Before we jump into our weekend plans, we got to look back on some big stories uh, that that happened this week in Chicago. And Heather, I want to start with you. And we've been talking a lot about how much is going to cost the city of Chicago to provide resources for the thousands of migrants. And we've heard Mayor Johnson and members of his administration come out time and time again and say, uh, it's it's not sustainable just on city funds. We need more money from the state, more money from the feds. We've heard, hey, we may spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to provide resources for people. But there's sort of been an inconsistency in numbers of what the city says it will need or what it may spend and the checks they're actually writing. So you've been digging into the numbers of how much the city of Chicago spent in 2023. What are those numbers and how do they match up with the Johnson administration's prospects? So let me take you back to mid-September. That was when the Johnson administration said, we've got to build these massive winterized base camps Mm -hmm. to move the migrants from the police stations. And the uh, sort of projections for those costs meant that the city anticipated spending more than $361 million by the end of December 2023 to care for the migrants. And that is just truly a massive amount of money, however you look at it. Mm -hmm. So when I got back from Christmas and New Year's, pretty much the first thing I wanted to know was, okay, it's now 2024. How much did the city actually spend to care for the migrants? Because as people know, those migrant base camps opened successfully in Brighton Park. Park, yeah. out of Morgan Park without a yeah. single hitch. They, they've right. been up and running now for weeks. So much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> never, never happened. 
yeah, never, happened. never happened. So the city has what is is truly a great sort of da- database that shows all of the payments that it has made to the vendors that they're really relying on to care for the migrants. And this is favorite staffing. This is open kitchens. These are really the people in charge of sort of the day-to-day nitty-gritty work of making sure that these people are safe and warm and fed. And that database at the very end of 2023 showed that the city had only spent $138 million. So that's a big difference between $361 million and $138 million. Mm-hmm. So Yes, the base camps never actually opening took somewhere in the neighborhood of $158 million right off the top of those costs. But it's not an exact one-to-one swap because even after the base camps didn't open, the city moved relatively quickly to open as many brick-and-mortar shelters as they could across the city. So some of those costs were sort of moved from bucket one to bucket two. So the the firm that has gotten the most amount of money from the city is Favorite Staffing, and they were paid somewhere in the neighborhood of $93 million, according to the, the database. And that also is just a massive amount of money. And that contract was originally negotiated by former Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And when Brent Johnson got into office, he took a look at it and said, that is entirely unacceptable, that the rates that they were paying security guards and you know people to process people was just completely out of whack, he said. So one of the first things he did was to renegotiate that contract. And that contract now calls for favorite staffing to be paid $40 million to care for migrants between October 2023 and October of 2024. So some of those costs that were initially projected were able to sort of be avoided because that contract negotiation. But it's even if you sort of account for all of that, there's really not clear why sort of that there were $60 million the city expected to pay, but never ended up doing. Now, some of that is probably due to the fact that in mid-November, Governor J.B. Pritzker stepped in and said, look, I found $160 million of state funds that we're going to use to help care for the migrants. But, you know, the overall picture has been, it's been very difficult to keep track of sort of how the city is caring for the migrants, how exactly how much it's costing taxpayers, and sort of whether those funds are being spent in the highest and the the best way. Um, Only about $60 million of that money that the city spent in 2023 came directly from Chicago taxpayers. The rest came from the federal government and from the state government. So in 2024, where we are now, the city's budget sets aside $150 million to care for the migrants. But nobody's really sure what it's actually going to cost the city this year. Ooh, so you've thrown out a lot of numbers. And when and when I start hearing things like 138 million, you know, a gap of about 223 million from what the city projected, Simone is always when we have this conversation reminding me, like, hey, we're talking about thousands of people providing shelter for thousands of people, providing food, providing clothes. And so it's likely that it does cost hundreds of millions of dollars to provide these resources. But when a city is going through a crisis, whether it is, you know, providing housing for thousands of people or what's 
like what we saw during the pandemic, it's really easy for millions of dollars to just start, you know, maybe getting lost or people not knowing where it ended up. How well is the how well do you trust these numbers that you're seeing in terms of how, you know, is the city doing a good job of tracking who they're paying, how much they're paying and that timeline? Yeah, it's really difficult because essentially, as I said, the city has outsourced this issue to private firms, essentially determining that the city is not equipped with its current staff to care for thousands of people and sometimes hundreds of people arriving in really dire condition every day. So that adds a layer of sort of remove, right? Because it's not sort of city official whose salary is documented, sort of do Doing this work. And it's not sort of the city going out and buying lunch for all of these migrants. Are we handing a blank check to these organizations and trusting that they do something like? Yeah. So it's all through the city's contracting process and the city's contracting process. You know, there have been, you know, reams written about corruption and problems with that. You know, it, it is essentially sort of they actually sort of have to file, file a legal process that says, hey, we need a firm to do X and firms who do X or have experience doing X will say, we will do X for you and it will cost you a hundred million dollars. And here's what we promise to do for that hundred million dollars. And then, you know, it's supposed to be that either the city council or the mayor says, yes, we will contract with you because you meet all of the legal standards and we think you're the best person to do this job. Does it always work like that? No. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's really hard to, you know, sort of keep track of all of those sort of dollars flying out the door. Because like you said, we're trying to keep people fed and from freezing to death. And it's hard. It's hard work. And also it's like on sort of the more macro level, the buckets of money matter in this case, right? Like how much is coming out of, you know, the city's general funds, you know, what we would consider sort of taxpayer dollars uh, versus, say, that COVID relief funding that Johnson announced he was going to be using uh, to help house migrants versus, say, other federal funds that have started to come in, the state funds that Pritzker has promised and is using. um, And is actually, you know, it's also interesting, too, because you have what the state is doing is a little bit separate from what the city is doing, like building that processing center uh, in the city right. of Chicago. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it, you know, it, it for I find it hard enough to keep to do my own budget, like trying the idea of like the average Chicago and being able to know and be able to have a really gr- good grasp on how much money is spent. Is it being spent? Well, it, it seems like almost an impossible uh, task. Exactly. And when that's coming out next to reports, you know, we talked with Mauricio Pena from from Borderless or earlier this week. There have been people who've gotten sick and passed away who lived inside of these shelters, including a a five year old boy. There have been complaints about being cramped next to each other, expired foods, uh, not being able to to get access to like processing, whether it's to get young people in school to get workers permit. And so, again, an average Chicagoan who doesn't know what one hundred million dollars really means would just assume you know, that's enough to provide adequate care for people. And so it's hard for me to make sense of, okay, where are these hundreds of millions of dollars going next to these reports of people saying time and time again, um, you know, what we're facing inside of these facilities don't sort of match up with with what the city is saying. Uh, And so we will continue to follow this. Obviously, this has not slowed down right now. Heather, where are we at on a day to day basis in terms of new arrivals into the city? 
So, you know, it's gotten increasingly hard to track how many people are coming to the city because the Texas governor is no longer sending buses directly to Chicago because buses are now at risk of being fined and impounded if they don't follow the city's rules. So you're getting a lot of people dropped off in Hinsdale or, you know, suburbs and told to hop the metro to get to Chicago. So that has made it it difficult. You know, all we sort of know is like the top line numbers. So there are nearly 15,000 people um, who came to Chicago from the the southern border that are in city shelters right now. By comparison, in January of 2023, there were 3,000 people in city shelters. So that gives you a, a sense of just the magnitude of, of the crisis that the city is, is facing, because every bed was filled when there were 3,000 people in city shelters a year ago. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Another huge thing we've been talking about time and time again is labor actions taking place in the city. Uh, you know, unions forming, employees coming together to organize across sectors. I don't think there is any industry in Chicago that's sort of been left untouched, including the improv community. Uh, Simone, what are we hearing from faculty members out of, you know, Chicago's most recognized improv institution, the Second City? Yeah. So teachers at, at Second City who are part of the Association of International Comedy Educators, which is also part of the uh, Illinois Federation of Teachers, um, have been in negotiations for the past two years with the New York based firm that uh, owns Second City took over in 2021 um, on a contract. And they announced uh, earlier this week that they are at an impasse with the owners and that um, if they are not able to reach a new deal by Tuesday, um, that they are prepared to strike and to picket uh, the Chicago theater, uh, and are asking audiences not to cross the picket line. Also, it's likely that actors will not cross the picket line as well. So could be very disruptive to, to performances, but teachers have basically said that, you know, they say they're getting paid less than their peers at other Chicago institutions. They say that their workloads have increased. Um, and so they're seeking a more favorable contract and, um, haven't been able, just haven't been able to reach a deal, uh, so far. I mean, again, we talked about other uh, industries, whether it's higher education, whether it's uh, manufacturing, food service, 
but my question here to you, Simone, is are you worried about particularly people crossing the picket line? You know, when it comes to the the performers, I, I think Chicago's improv community is also very tight knit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it's not just the Second City where um, educators, both educators and performers, you know, have gripes about uh, about working conditions. Right. Um, the audience uh, piece of it, I think will be really interesting. I mean, you know, Good point. I, you know, this is like wild speculation here, but you know, it is January. We're not talking about like peak tourist season where I expect an institution like the second city would be, you know, very, very busy where audiences are really, really seeking it out. But that said, you know, it is still one of the biggest, uh, in, you know, improv institutions, comedy institutions, um, in, in Chicago and in the country. And so, uh, it will be interesting to see how audiences respond. You know, are they generally sympathetic or is there going to be frustration if, if, if shows are disrupted, if shows are canceled, um, you know, what kind of, what will that do to, to, to that relationship in Chicago? Um, if the strike actually happens again, there is a chance, uh, you know, that they reach agreement over the weekend before Tuesday, but, um, yeah, we just kind of have to wait and see. From a crisis facing the city to uh, labor organizing in the comedy scene to another sort of hot button topic in Chicago, and that is corruption. Uh, Heather, you were on the show a a couple months ago as we were preparing uh, for the Ed Burke trial to break down what we needed to know about Chicago's former longest serving alder. Since then, he has been convicted of corruption, bribery, and some other counts. Uh, but but the story's not over yet. Not only are we still waiting for sentencing, but people still want to know what does this mean, uh, not only for the future of corruption cases in Chicago, what does that mean for how alders operate moving forward? Uh, what, what's your latest takeaway from this ongoing saga? So I, the verdict came down just before Christmas. Uh, Burke was convicted of 13 of the 14 counts that he was charged with. Uh, including racketeering. And, you know, my question after the the verdict was, we heard a lot of tapes. We heard almost 100 tapes that were recorded um, surreptitiously after a court order. And we heard Ed Burke almost reflexively engaging in corruption. Somebody would call his office and there would be immediately sort of an attempt to figure out, well, did they need property tax appeal representation? What else could Ed Burke get from them? And it really, it ranged, right? He was convicted of extorting the Field Museum because they didn't give his goddaughter an internship interview. Um, he was convicted of you know, attempting to extort a businessman who wanted a sign permit. And he w- was convicted of attempting to extort some Texas billionaires who needed permits to renovate their Burger King on the Mm -hmm. Southwest side. And I was really struck that there was almost no hesitation between that. Now, I like to think that if I was about to do a bunch of crimes, I would have to think sort of very carefully about it. Like, how am I going to do this? Because I don't want to end up in jail. But it but it sounds like we weren't at the genesis of these relationships. This is a person who had already been stopping by the shops in his neighborhood, sort of hand out like, when my my dollars at this? We where my money. Yeah. So it was clear that Ed Burke was following a playbook that he had perfected over his decades in office, that this was just how he operated. And my question after the verdict to or acting U.S. Attorney Morris Pasquale was, I thought, a simple one. 
why did it take so long for the feds to get enough evidence to bring criminal charges against Ed Burke? And, you know, the acting U.S. attorney, he said that, you know, they can only bring criminal charges when they've amassed enough evidence to present that. Right. Danny Solis's don't fall out of the sky every day, right? The the former alder turned, turned uh, uh, state's witness. Right. The person whose voice we might hear on a lot of these hours of tape. Correct. And that and I think that's the fundamental thing that made the difference here. But it was just an incredible glimpse into sort of the actual governance of Chicago, where the entire goal was not to say, how can we serve the people of Chicago, but how can we get our own? You know, it's the the great Mike Royko, you know, fake Chicago motto, Ubi es mea, where is mine? You know, Nobody blew the whistle on Ed Burke for decades, and he was allowed to operate this way. And I think we as Chicagoans, you know, I I fundamentally believe that people get the government that they vote for. And Chicagoans year after year after year not only voted for Ed Burke, but tolerated repeated cases of corruption. And I think that there's no real sort of reckoning about sort of why that was allowed to flourish and why it was allowed to burrow so deep into our culture. And I think without that sort of reckoning, without asking those questions, how can we really expect this jury verdict or any jury verdict uh, to serve as a deterrent for politicians? And that, I think, is the fundamental question that I have going forward. And I think it's the question that we have had every time we've had this conversation whatever there is a verdict rendered in a corruption trial in Chicago. It's literally the first thing. It's like, is this going to change anything? Well, why wouldn't? It hasn't yet. And again, as, as you say, like, you know, I can respect what the U.S. attorney is saying about you can only convict if there's evidence, you can only bring charges if there's evidence. But the fact of the matter is, is like that sort of cold comfort when, you mm-hmm. know, you are living within and working within a system that seems to be so fundamentally flawed. Right. And when I when I listened through your explanation of the charges that Burke faced in the situations uh, that, you know, the jurors were going to have to deliberate over. I'm not going to lie. A part of me was like, oh, sounds pretty run of a meal. I thought this was going to be a lot more maybe elaborate, a, a lot more under the table maneuver. And he was like, oh, you know, tried to shake down a Burger King and got real mad at the film museum, told him, hey, you don't work with me. I don't work with you. And a lot of these things, I don't know. I just they sound like, oh. That, that sounds like the the system alders have set up for themselves uh, to sort of move around Chicago politics. And so I do wonder, as much as we say, you know, we get the the government we vote for, I, I wonder if there's also the self-fulfilling prophecy of we sort of get the government we expect. And when you expect there to be corruption, you don't really go looking for it. When you expect there to be corruption, you, you don't really get shocked when it's happening around you. But also when you look at just how I don't know, I don't, unsexy is not the word I'm trying to look for. I, I think it is. I think that's exactly what it it's is. Absolutely right. Yes. Just it feels common or simple. These these cases were it was just. They don't sound like the things that get people riled up and upset. And and to that, not credit, it feels like Burke just knew that and that yeah. in this position for 50 years, there were ways to to exploit in ways that people just weren't going to write home about. Well, I think there are two fundamental questions that I grapple with about this. And um, is Chicago's system of governance corrupt or 
does the system corrupt good otherwise people? And I don't know the answer to that question. And I think until you know the answer to that question, you don't know how to solve it, right? You can't diagnose a problem that you can't explain. And I think a lot about how, you know, the power that Ed Burke wielded to sort of do these now judged criminal acts involved sort of, you know, what we've talked about before, aldermanic prerogative, the sense that each alderman was like the final arbiter over what happens in his or her ward. And you cannot disentangle that power with sort of Chicago's legacy of systemic racism and segregation and sort of the impact of, you know, where sort of gentrification is being, is happening and who it's sort of benefiting and who it's not benefiting. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, those, there has long been a, a sense, and this was the Chicago I grew up in, was that we did sort of expect our uh, elected officials to be on the take. We did expect them to engage in some level of graft and corruption. And that was fine because, Fundamentally, some Chicagoans, and I mean white Chicagoans, believed that that benefited the city, that it made the trains run on time, Mm -hmm. that it made everything work sort of the way that it was supposed to work. And I think the fundamental question is, is I don't think that's true. I think we all (laughs) suffered for that. Mm -hmm. And I think people who are disenfranchised, black people, Latino people, poor people, women in some cases, suffered significantly for that. But because it has just been in the air we breathe and it is just sort of the status quo, it is very hard for us to sort of see what's right in front of our eyes. And then we have reactions like you did, Jacoby. To just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess, no big deal. Yeah, it's messed up, but I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you told him he could stay a property tax lawyer while he was an alder and control what was going on in his ward. I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh, and he got to sit as the 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 the, the budget committee leader for, for decades. Oh, all right. <laughs> but Heather, to your point, too, is like, I think there are people, right, who see it as as a net positive just in the sense of like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I want to be able to reach out to my alderman and like, sure, maybe I have to give something in return, but I know that my business is going to be successful. I know that my potholes are going to be filled. Right. I know that my garbage is going to get collected. Like you can see how as an individual Chicagoan, why you might like to have that relationship Mm -hmm. with an alderman in office. Um, But again, to your point, the question is about does a government that is for the entire population of Chicago, should it not work for the entire population of Chicago, not just the individuals who have the access? If you are new to CityCast Chicago, not only do we bring our friends in on Friday to look back on some of the big stories, but we like to end this episode like we end almost every episode. And that's with, it's been a couple weeks, forgive me. (laughs) Some good news. Heather, we are going to start with you. What is your good news for the people today? 
So my good news is the absolute viral sensation that is the concrete outline of some poor rodent, rat, squirrel, I don't know, (laughs) that apparently found itself face down in a pile of wet cement and left its very clear imprint in the sidewalk. Like like fossil clear. Yeah, yeah. So... Apparently, it has been there for close to two decades in Roscoe Village on the north side, um, and it has become just a viral sensation after somebody on TikTok found it and put it up there because it just looks like that poor bugger fell into that hole and got out 10 seconds ago. And because you can see his little like <laughs> the claws. That's why I thought it was a rat for sure. Because the little tail outline looked like the little whip. Of but you a, wouldn't have the fluffy, the fluffy bits. I know. I figured yeah. that, but I was I was still wondering what made that little imprint. Is it's it the, the It's the bit that's under the, the fluffy bits. Yeah. I get that, but I thought a squirrel tail, at least even with the fluff, no, was a little bit. No, it's just a, a rat tail. It's just a there. rat tail, yeah. but with, with fluff. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, like, this is an insane story to be talking about. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's be for real. But like the fact that, you know, people are coming from all over the city to see this and it's become sort of one of those like Chicago things, just like the, the alligator in the Humboldt Park Lagoon and like all of those mm-hmm. things. It's just one of those things that like is just so Chicago that this is not going to be a thing in New York. They are all way to New York to sort of be like, <laughs> did you see the alligator? <laughs> of the rodent that fell, whereas we're calling our moms, we're calling our aunties. FaceTiming. <laughs> I saw a picture of people just putting loose change in there like it was like a wishing I saw like yeah. an offering. Yes. I thought that was yes. so cute. Yep. We got to give it up to the, the rat squirrel. May he rest in peace, I assume now. I Yeah, yeah. I don't know how yeah. that went down. Yeah. It had yeah. to be yeah. had to be tragic. I What I really loved about the story is when I first saw it, Again, never seen it before, did not know it had a long history. And so my immediate thought was, okay, this is hilarious. Chicago has been voted rattiest city. I don't know what's going on here, what happened to this rat, how it ended up here. But to find out, uh, the Sun-Times talked to Cindy Nelson, who has lived across the street uh, from the imprint for almost 20 years. And to know that this community had their own little thing that they all on their block knew about would see people coming by celebrating they've used it as a halloween decoration on the block just to know that every little neighborhood every community every block in chicago has their own separate traditions that people on the opposite side of the city have never heard about it's just we are such a huge city to know that even inside of it, in smaller neighborhoods, we have our own inside jokes that maybe people are just getting hip to 20 years later. To, to get this fresh, new kind of Chicago viral sensation, uh, it, it feels cool as somebody who's always who's who's grown up here. It's a gift. It's a gift. I'll let listeners know I, I'm making a little pilgrimage over to Rat Hole uh, <laughs> a little later this week. So maybe if you subscribe to our newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm, maybe you'll see a little pick. And if you're listening, it's located near 1918 West Roscoe Street. Uh, so so there is your your answer if you're if it ends up in our newsletter and you want to know uh, where to find it. Uh, <laughs> from a rat hole in Roscoe Village to an ice rink in Inglewood, Simone, can you give us some more good news today? 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I I didn't used to be a winter person, but now I'm extolling the <laughs> virtues of going outside in the cold. I don't know when that happened. Um, but I was really excited to see this story about a uh, ice rink that is opening up in Englewood uh, off of 63rd and Justine, and they're calling it the Miracle on 63rd Street. Uh, this is sort of the the vision and the work of uh, Corey Luckett out of Englewood uh, Branded. Um, and I have been talking about how ice skating has been on my winter to-do list, uh, and I still haven't done it. So um, adding this to my list of potential ice skating rinks um, just seems like a great idea. And also just like really love seeing, um, you know, uh, seeing an ice skating rink in Englewood, which is I don't think otherwise uh, has one that that's open to the mm-hmm. public. Um, and, you know, this is Real, real, really accessible. You know, talking five dollars skate rental, uh, open um, till eight p.m. Uh, Monday through Saturday. So yeah, just a really, really nice thing to see, and a, a nice to have another option for for ice skating because it's gonna happen. I'm gonna make it happen this winter. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Inglewood Branded. Shout out to Rage Inglewood. Th- these groups have provided everything from uh, pop up events during during the winter, providing back to school uh, clothes and uh, resources for young people. Um, and so to see them turning their basketball court into a an ice skating rink uh, for the rest of January is really cool. So weather permitted, you might be able to go out there Monday through Friday, four to eight, and Saturday from twelve to eight. Uh, so we'll drop a link in the show notes where you can learn a little bit more. Uh, before we get out of here, my some good news is a couple of bright spots with Chicago uh, sports teams. One, I saw that tweet last week that was talking about Chicago professional sports team is going into like a record championship drought. They had completely forgot the Chicago sky, so we're not going for that. We're not in a like you know, multi-decade drought. Y'all chill out. We didn't got some baseball, some basketball championships. But when it comes to the Bears and Bulls, it feels like fans can only focus on the questions that they have. What will the the Bears do during the offseason with all their money, with all their draft picks? Will the quarterback be back? What will the Bulls do over the next month with, uh, with the trade deadline coming up? But hey, there's still good news coming out of both of these teams, y'all. The Bears, They are scheduled to play a home game next season in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, The Bears have not been to London in a few years and might be an opportunity for me and my mom to travel. She's itching uh, to see the Bears play uh, across the pond. And and so that's a piece of good news they just announced earlier this week. And tonight, the Bulls are honoring their first ever ring of honor inductees, including the entire 1995-1996 championship team, the 72-10 and team, uh, but also they're honoring legends like Coach Phil Jackson, Scotty, Rodman, and of course, of course, his arrogant airness, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. There's some reasons to smile in the in the Chicago sports world this week. That, that's all I want to say. Uh, and I want to give another huge thank you to our guests today. Uh, of course, you know them and you love them. Executive producer, Samal Alisea. Hey, thanks. And WTTW's Heather Sharon. Always a pleasure.
Of course, I got to thank everybody else who makes CityCast Chicago possible. That includes our producer, Michelle Navarro, our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden. Roving producers this week are Elizabeth Kama and Dylan Brogan. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. These are your last days to both CityCast Chicago and Hey Chicago as best podcast and best email newsletter as part of Chicago Reader's Best of 2023 list. If you've already done that, oh, then join us next week. We'll be back in your inbox and feeds on Tuesday. We'll talk to you then. Peace.